Today we're going to talk about technology through the ages. That is Noah's age and Greg's age. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the evolution of technology as we have known it to date. This is Easy Talk. My name is Greg. I'm Noah. And welcome to Episode 7. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. This is episode 7 of ZZ Talk, so thank you for sticking with us. And today, of course, we will be talking about technology through the generations. That is the generation of Gen X, which is my father, and Generation Z, which is myself. Now, Generation Z is 1997 to, I believe, 2012, so I do fall squarely within that category, even though I haven't been holding a smartphone for my entire life. But with that, we're going to talk about the differences in generational perspectives within our uh, technology, and then we're going to describe our top five favorites. So let's go ahead and start with my dad. Well, you should know that when we started this, when we came up with the idea of this topic, um, really I thought of it as just sort of the evolution. So I started thinking about just about every piece of technology that I could remember um, from my entire lifetime, some of which appeared before my lifetime. But Noah has limited me to five, so I have to pick. Um, I, I go from the 8-track tape player all the way up to the, wait for it, the Palm Pilot. The Palm Pilot. Which Noah did not remember. Explain the Palm Pilot a little bit for me. It was basically a scheduler. So, a digital scheduler, scheduler. It sat on a docking station in your office, and you had a stylus. And when you wanted to schedule something, instead of having a, you know, a, a, a book, mm -hmm. you used your Palm Pilot. And that preceded the BlackBerry. Interestingly enough, we're using our Notes app to look over a few things on our iPhones, and that helps us schedule our day-to-day uh, -day things. But we can also use Google Calendar. So I guess it was sort of a planner in that sort of sense mm -hmm. beforehand. Yep, a precursor, yep. So how did, was the stylus any good? I remember that was a little bit finicky. I remember it was clunky. I mean, I, I even then I remember thinking, you know, oh, this is so cool. I've got a Palm Pilot. And, you know, <laughs> people were walking around campus with a Palm Pilot, but... Mm -hmm. You know, people who work there, but you know, it wasn't it wasn't students necessarily. It was faculty and staff, and um, but it was so short lived. I mean, I honestly think it lived as technology often does for mm -hmm. less than a year before it was replaced by something better. Yeah, which was probably the smartphone or the iTouch or something like that. So, what year was that? Um, well, the let's see. You should ask me, shouldn't you? Uh, <laughs> the uh, Palm Pilot debuted in 1997, which just happens to be the year that Noah's Eiser was born. So Wild. Yeah. Wild. Which is why you don't remember it, because I think by the time you were one, it was, it was dead. Certainly, but uh, on the other side of the coin, CDs debuted before I was born, and I still use them somewhat to this day, especially in the format of watching movies. 1982. 1980. That's when CDs came compact out? Compact disc, 1982. I didn't have mine for 10 years. My first, I remember my first compact disc was... The Bodyguard soundtrack in 1992. Wow. Okay, so I'd imagine it was more for personal computers and maybe software, stuff like that, before it became sort of physical media and entertainment. Well, and that's the thing with a compact disc. It had so many different iterations. When mm -hmm. I did a little bit of, you know, Googling of compact disc, you know, it, it, was, it started with the audio disc, okay. right? But then it became a photo um, storage location, and it was many iterations of, and I just really was going to focus on the audio version. Interesting. All right, so going back, all the way back, winding the clocks to, what, what would we say, 1970s? 1965, 19... before I appeared on 
on the scene, by the way. But this is something that you used pretty often? Yes. And okay. I'll start with the A-Track tape player. Right. Now, for those of uh, my generation, you'll remember the A-Track tape player. The thing about that was I remember it being in my car, my, my dad's station wagon. And, of course, I think what we all remember about the 8-track tape player is, one, you could not record on it. So it was audio only. Um, and it was audio that you could not record. So it was music or, you know, any kind of narration. But what everyone remembers about the 8-track, and which is why it didn't survive much longer, was because in the middle of a song, it would literally fade, okay. click, I guess, to the next track, and then fade up. So the song was sort of broken in two pieces um, oh, somewhere, wow. not even in the middle of the song. So it could have been toward the end of the song. It could have been at the beginning of the song. It was just sort of a, that's the way it was. So was that a way to essentially buy? Um, I know that uh, record players were still being used around that time. Was that essentially before DVDs, I mean, sorry, CDs, the only way to sort of buy the music that you wanted to listen to? Well, I think the A-Track, yes, but the A-Track was quickly, repl- I don't know how quickly, but was replaced, well, I can tell you how quickly, by the cassette tape player in 1968, Okay, which happens to be the year that I arrived on the scene. Um, and what was big about that was, one, it was far more compact. Mm-hmm. Two, it didn't like break the song up in the middle. But two, but three, you could record on it. So it was really transformational in a sense that, you could put on the cassette what you wanted rather than having someone say, here, buy this. Okay. Now, I remember the days where you would, an album became, you know, you could listen to purchase music in the form of a vinyl album or a cassette tape. Okay. Um, but the cassette tape, I think, really took off because you could actually record on it. So was the cassette tape, I mean, I guess um, when you rec- were recording with this, uh, was it sort of, was it illegal? To record music next to the radio yeah, because as long as you don't sell it, it's kind of like when you would you know record on a VCR, which is okay. also a part of my technological list. Oh my uh, goodness! You know, as long as you're not selling it, it's uh, was you know for personal use, it was fine. So, yeah, no, it was fine. So I guess you would just kind of stand next to the radio. Now let me tell you how we use cassette players, Noah's Eiser. So All it right. was a function of you know if your favorite song was on the radio, you would. Yes, um, wait for it. You would call in and request your song, right? <laughs> on your landline. On your landline, <laughs> exactly. And I remember calling a favorite DJ of mine. Her name was Harriet Coffey. And I would call her and I would... You've never heard that story, have you? No. And I would call her and I would say, Harriet, it's Greg. I mean, she didn't know me well, but I had called before. And I would want to hear X song. And she said, okay, it's coming up like two songs from now. So I would get ready. Now, this not everybody did that. And certainly there were times I was just sitting waiting at the radio in case my favorite song came on. And you would always hope that the DJ would not talk in the beginning mm-hmm. and not talk at the end, which really never happened because you were just sitting there with the red record button mm-hmm. um, waiting to record your favorite song. So it was either on demand, if you will, mm-hmm. using air quotes because you're calling the DJ, or you're just sitting there waiting at your radio uh, for the song that you like the most to record it. Well, I remember back when I was maybe in elementary school or middle school before Shazam lets you know. Yeah. Is that know, still a thing? Uh, Shazam, I believe it is, yeah, but maybe it has it different all the uses now. I use it once in a while uh, when I can't really pick out a lyric. It is pretty good, I will say. But uh, finding a song or figuring out a song from just hearing a bit on the radio and not hearing the DJ announce what the song title was, Mm -hmm. was a nightmare to Mm -hmm. find. And I can't imagine what that was like before the internet, at least, in the 1970s, because 
for me, I remember I would just sit there listening to G105 or mm-hmm. the top 40 stations, just listening and hoping that the chorus would give me a hint as to what the song was yeah. called or if the announcer would say the name of it. Because remember, if you didn't know the name of it and then you didn't hear the, the DJ say it, you were like, oh, I really like that song. I just wish I knew the name of it. So would you say that that made music definitely more accessible, but would you say it allowed you to discover more or at least get into different types of music more? Or would you say it just allowed you to listen to what you wanted in a way that the previous iteration could Probably not? Probably a little bit of both, but more of the latter. It, it really just sort of, uh, it probably further cemented people's like of different genres of music. Okay. okay. So, um so from there, I'll just go from audio to video. So the next big thing was obviously the Betamax okay. slash VHS. Uh, that debuted in 1975. And uh, I remember we never had a Betamax, but by and large, Beta was considered the superior technology, I think, for clarity and sound and all that. But uh, it really went obsolete pretty quickly. Um, the video cassette recorder, um, mm-hmm. VCR, really became mainstream. And um, obviously, Sony launched it, and uh, it became it replaced the Betamax pretty quickly. So, give me the difference between what a Betamax and a VCR was, because it seemed like the Betamax was touted as the premium option. But was it did it accept video cassette tapes in that way, or just play them at a higher quality? Um, Beta was its own kind of tape. Brand, so, I suppose. Yeah, let's see. Uh, also known as Beta on its logo. Okay. Um, it's a consumer-level analog recording and cassette format of magnetic tape for video. Amazing. I just Off the top up. of your I head. <laughs> uh, commonly known as a video cassette. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't quite fully understand. Let's see. The main determining factor between Betamax and VHS was the cost. Mm-hmm. Beta was a lot more expensive. So, you know, when you can take something to market and it be almost as high quality but affordable for the masses, mm-hmm. you're going to win. Absolutely. And so VHS took over. And, of course, remember VHS. I mean, remember the days that we enjoy today. Mm-hmm are not what we had back then. So it was a function of the idea that you could actually record your favorite show mm-hmm. without even having to have the TV on Yeah, was kind of a miracle. Um, and so it really changed the idea of for network television when people watched things. So even at the, the very onset of that, over time, ratings mm-hmm. became... A whole different thing because it was real-time ratings and it was delayed ratings. That's right. Yeah. And then, of course, now there's streaming ratings right. or streaming equivalent, which I think is only, uh, for most, two minutes of watching a show. Maybe Two minutes. Yep. Yeah, two minutes, maybe ten minutes for some. Yep. But um, And just like streaming as well. You know, it's album equivalent sales instead yep. of album sales anymore. Yeah. But I digress. The whole thing has been diluted. Yeah, it really has. And, and not in a great way. I'm sorry. I'm going to start to sound like Gen X right here. <laughs> it was s- a lot simpler back then. Oh, you're gonna back sound- in my day. Oh, you're going to sound like a baby boomer <laughs> at this rate. Um, but regardless, I want to jog. What's wrong with that? <laughs> That's a can of worms we're not going to go into. Anyway, so um, just to jog some people's memories or at least to uh, tell people that are about my age or a little bit older – about uh, what prices might have been like back then or what inflation has done to media. What was the price of an average VHS cassette tape when it was first popularized? Yeah, I want to say it was about $20, maybe a little less. Um, Betamax was 30. And so again... Which would be equivalent to what? 
a time and a half now? Probably at least that, yeah. I mean, it's been, you know, 1975 was a long time ago. Yeah, and I mean, nowadays, it's been so long, but I remember DVDs, usually brand new, costing 25 maybe $30, oh, yeah. but it was a much more expensive option if you paid more than that. It was yeah. either the you know, HDR version or with all these special features, the, the deluxe yeah. version. Mm-hmm. I mean, so well, And many. they still, I don't know who buys DVDs anymore, but they still, I mean, and we own a lot of them, so don't get me wrong. They're but, an excellent format still, and especially like, if you're deal hunting. People like the quality mm-hmm. of the DVD over streaming. To an extent, I'd say with streaming, it just depends on what device you're watching mm-hmm. it on or if your internet connection is any good. <clears throat> yeah. Well, since you mentioned cost, I'm going to move into my next uh, technology, which was not as well known as all the others we've talked about, and that's okay. the video disc player. And yes, I came from a family that owned a video disc player, and I share that only because huh. these were laser discs, and um, it was originally called DiscoVision. That was the name of I've the heard, laser I've disc. heard that before. And the players themselves were $1,000. Which is another reason it didn't catch on. Now, I don't know how in the world we had a a video laser disc player, but I remember... Didn't you say Pop-Up won a contest and sort of sold like a camper and a lot of... Was able to, you know... Yeah, but that that was too... Like different decades. Well, maybe he saved a lot of money from it. <laughs> the it was camper like, and everything was before Greg. Maybe so. he was like, "There's some cutting edge piece of technology <laughs> where we're going to be able to buy this one." Well, day. I will say we did think we were kind of the cat's meow having this laser player. <laughs> but the problem was is that the discs were heavy. Uh-huh. Um, they you never saw the disc because the way you inserted them in the front of the DVD player, I'm, uh, you can't see how I'm like acting this out mm-hmm. now, right? But uh, and they would skip all over the place. So. Ugh. You know, it was just technology that probably had not been perfected before it came to market. And ultimately, I don't know too many people who had it. We spent, I mean, the discs were $50, $60, $70. And, you know, you know, how many times can you watch a movie? I mean... It, I can't watch a movie more than once or twice, unless it's Star Wars. No, I would say back... Already established I would that. say back then, people probably rewatched things far more often because of the limited selection That's and true. maybe availability of That's certain true. things. Yeah. But... I think you're also right in the sense that convenience always trumps uh, price. It does, and you I would can't even put a price say price on convenience. Exactly, and I, I would say that. I would also say quality in many instances. Yeah. Yeah. And even though this was cutting edge, it sounds like it was a prototype, and it was maybe the first of its kind. Mm-hmm. But if you can't have something that works consistently and is also expensive, I mean, something like that has to be perfect. Right. And uh, I mean, when you're introducing new ways to, I guess, digest entertainment. Uh, was it early 80s mid 80s I suppose. uh yeah early 80s I- i'd say probably the only thing that was worth that much money was at least some type of computer but then again not many people had uh pcs at home back then i would say no, right for sure i just learned that the first laptop came out in like 1981 yeah 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 now let me finish up my list of five things that we talked about probably more than five but since you just this was a perfect segue into my final piece of technology which really took off because it was accessible, it was affordable, Mm -hmm. uh, and that was the Sony Walkman. The original name of the Sony Walkman was... The Discman? The Soundabout. No, no, the Discman was higher technology that came after because CDs were coming into prominence uh, rather than just cassettes. The names for these are so funny because they would never go over well with the public nowadays, I feel like. Well, you know, there were some concerns at the time that Walkman was gender-specific, and that it might not appeal to the mass the, audience. Was this the 90s? Uh, no. The, um, uh, 
These came out in 1982. Is this true? In 1979 I mean, was the first Walkman. Did people have the same concerns with going to see The Running Man? Um, I'm, I do not. I cannot answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember. I mean, that was when you, you're... Okay, so remember you went from vinyl to uh, cassette, mm-hmm. and now cassettes are portable. So right. you can take your music with you, mm-hmm. um, and you can take the music that you want or the music that you purchased. Hence and, Walkman. Exactly. Traveling. And so it became synonymous with running and just travel in general. And um, you know what the most popular color was initially? Red. Yellow. Maybe I should stop guessing when you ask me a question. You you weren't there. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so I mean, if you think about just sort of the evolution of technology from just prior to my arrival on the planet, Mm -hmm. um, from, uh, you know, the... uh, um, cassettes that we or not the cassettes but the eight-track tape players Mm -hmm. all the way through um the walkman and there are so many other things that follow that but i'll spare the listener and spare you and we'll let you take it over since you arrive in the age of the ipod of course well i feel like i'm talking to somebody who just came over in a time machine i i did yes in fact all of my notes here were on stone tablets. Stone tablets, right. yes, of course. But now there's better ways instead of writing on papyrus or stone tablets. And you right. learn. It's called a palm pilot, right? <laughs> <laughs> it all comes back full circle. Right. You know, that's something we do learn in technology. Um, however, I'm going to uh, go ahead with my generation's uh, top five technological advancements. And these are personal picks. These are not objective. I mean, opinions never are. But at the same time, these are the ones that stuck out to me the most. So the first one that I'm going to go with is probably the earliest piece of technology that I consistently used aside of a TV. And that is the Leap Pad. Now, Now, people probably aren't incredibly familiar with the Leap Pad. And it was a learning tool. And um, probably the first pad of its kind that um, I guess was considered a tablet as well. So it was this book that you had to charge. And you open it, and then you had a binder with a certain brand or property. So say that you wanted to learn about... um, The U.S. states. The U.S. states. So you'd open up essentially what was a small binder, a kid-friendly binder, of a U.S. history textbook. And then you would place it on the center of the leap pad. You would open it up, and then you had a stylus as well. And uh, you would also have to put in a cartridge into the side of the leap pad so that it would coincide with that book. Now, this thing was the coolest thing ever. And when I was a kid, of course, I saw nothing wrong with it. But I remember just learning about all the 50 states, all the presidents. You knew them all. You were what? How old were you? Five, six, eight? I don't know. Four, I must have been four or five. 21? I don't know. But, <laughs> but I need another leap pad in my life because you, I've you forgotten do. a lot. I don't, know, I don't know. They probably don't still make them because they've been replaced by more modern technology. But it was a really useful learning tool. And I would... We were really proud of you for knowing all 50 states. Well, you know, I was always happy to use it because they made it fun. There were Spider-Man, different brands. There was, you know, U.S. History and Presidents, which I got interested in. Just a ton of popular properties that kids would love. Mm -hmm. And it was something that I would say probably got lost in the sea of technological advancements that came pretty much after 2002. it was geared toward children. Of course. when something is geared toward a a larger audience, then... 
you know, that becomes more prominent. And then again, I mean, now you can learn with quizzes all over the internet about that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Back then, you really couldn't. So that was right. the best way. Now, uh, moving forward, after the Elite Pad, I would say the best, uh, next best piece of technology for me was the iPod. More specifically, the iPod Nano, the because Nano. that was the first one, or perhaps the first iteration of uh, iPod that there was. Uh, now, the iPod Nano was smaller. It was a rectangle. Can everyone see him? You know, he's, he's showing me how, how small the Nano was. <laughs> well, the Nano was uh, quite small. It was essentially the size of... What was the first one, though? The Shuffle. Remember the Shuffle? Which was like... Was the Shuffle the very first? Yeah, there was no video on that. The Nano had, had video. Okay. Yeah. Well, I remember, I, I got to say just iPods in general, but I'm talking about the Nano because I remember you would plug in an auxiliary cord into it or headphones, um, and you would be able to scroll on this wheel on a tiny screen that would tell you all the artists, and there were podcasts available back then. Um, and then you would select it just like you would essentially was, was with the ZZ touch. Was Talk available back then? No, it was not. Okay. Uh, because I was... You were probably 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or, or younger. But I remember this was probably my first real introduction into music. Mm -hmm. And uh, with my dad's extremely diverse taste of top 40 <laughs> and mostly 80s. That in episode 2. <laughs> exactly. Um, I was, able to, I was able to learn a lot through the iPod, and it was fascinating, too, the connection between physical media and digital media with the iTunes store. That was something that still blows my mind to this day. I believe Did you buy a lot of music? Oh, I, I, have, I have hundreds of songs I have still on there. at least that many songs. And, you know, we can't do anything about it in no. retrospect, but it was incredible that we were able to do that. You know, the 69-cent uh, song sales, yep. you were always looking. They were always the not very good songs, no, exactly. but you'd you find a gem every once in a while. the good ones. But being able to preview your music and then take something from the internet and then download it onto your physical like physical object, that was crazy to me. And I used that format. You know, eventually it turned into you know an iTouch and 2010 or something like yeah. that. But it, it was it was groundbreaking. And I would say that's what really got a lot more people uh, into music accessibility and just discovering different artists. Because now you could hear about an artist from a friend and you could just search it up. Or it would do suggestions mm -hmm. for you. And they added genius. People started listening to podcasts. And, I mean, the rest truly was history. That's right. I've read genius, yeah. Yeah. So I would also say that um, the following uh, next greatest technological achievement is uh, social media. Everybody uses social media. Social what? Social media. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've heard of it. Anyway, so social media obviously started um, essentially more so with MySpace and blogs in the early 2000s. But I'm still looking for you to friend me on MySpace. <laughs> I don't think I ever had a MySpace. Neither I think I. Uh, I think I. my time had uh, MySpace's time had passed by the time I was really old enough. Ask your parents' permission before going online was still a thing as well. The answer is no, Noah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're recording this offline. But uh, regardless, social media has been a double-edged sword, to say the least. Um, it was a really fun discovery tool to be able to interact with both friends, a close network, and uh, occasionally strangers uh, when it was uh, debuting first. I didn't have a Facebook until I was a senior in high school, so it had been popular for a long time. But now you can advertise with Facebook. You can run entire businesses yes. on social media. And I remember... You a lot of money at work. I agree. Um advertising on social media yeah i mean that's uh, that's essentially how you search and screen for people nowadays so social media itself 
I mean, you can always list so many negatives and some of the effects that it, adverse effects it's had on maybe children and self-esteem of teenagers and even young adults, I'm sure. Um, but when it comes to being able to just send pictures of one another with captions to each other on Snapchat or be able to oh, yeah, I do it all the time. like somebody's post or, you know, I don't like somebody's post, share something. Yeah. Or, you know, raise a concern on Twitter, which everybody's doing. Um, and, you know, just send something, send a funny sort of item to somebody else. I think it's incredible that you're able to do that over the internet. And everybody's doing it today, still. It's more popular than it's ever been. And yeah. I th- think Facebook actually has over 2.7 billion yeah. active users. Yeah, I keep the Facebook account because it's sort of a... a, a, a a journal of my life. You know, I yeah. haven't posted a whole lot in the last year for obvious reasons because we haven't done a whole lot. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's nice to have those memories um, or those, you know, that you're commemorating at different milestones of your life. And I would say for social media, they're not essential to use, but they are always essential to have. I, I would agree. And I would just say here that just because you think something doesn't mean you have to type it. I completely agree. Um, So moving on, uh, my next one is streaming and smart TVs. I think these are kind of concurrent because it sort of goes into making a better version of uh, physical media and movies and how you watch them. So smart TVs, the first, my first experience with a smart TV was in 2012 where I visited a friend's house and he said, check out. Yeah, and he yeah, said... Same house. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh. He said, uh, check out this TV, and he was playing a Call of Duty game on it, and he said, hi, TV, and the TV actually just started up and asked him what he wanted to do. Which sounds so amazing. Because Siri was brand new back then. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like typical now. Yeah. But in 2012... And the resolution... Was groundbreaking. ...was lifelike, because I think at this time, we still had um, our old TV that... Y'all got on um, for a wedding present, I think. And um, we also had uh, the plasma screen TV, which they don't make plasma screens anymore, right? I don't think so. Yeah, it was considered HD at the time, but the quality was, you know, it was just fine. Mm -hmm. This, you watch animal documentaries, you watch um, any TV show or play any video game on it, and it is just lifelike. It was almost photorealistic, Mm -hmm. just the movement and the fluidity of it. I was blown away. And by the same measure streaming of course we've talked about streaming services and i think everybody uses it and if you're listening to this podcast you're probably streaming it so or you are most definitely streaming it i would imagine but uh it's incredible how much um you can find movies tv music podcasts just by being able to type it in on any one of your four five favorites uh, yeah there's apps. almost there's almost nothing that you don't want to watch that you can't find that you want to watch that you can't find you know, yes. you can just type, where can I stream this? It, it, you know, as you know, we don't have satellite or cable anymore. Mm-hmm. All we do is stream stuff. And frankly, that's serving us just fine. Yeah. And my final uh, technological advancement, it is uh, actually, I was going to choose Amazon, but it's not going to be Amazon. And I'm going I'm to waiting, say... I'm waiting, Noah. What is it? I'm going to say Uber. Uber is probably okay. the most obvious thing that... Uh, had a void, a need for it, and, you know, mass culture, especially in cities, um, for the longest time, but was only truly introduced in, what, the early 2010s, I would say? Mm-hmm. I want to say 2012, maybe, uh, was yeah, the Yeah, probably first... the first time I ever Ubered was 2015. 
Yeah, exactly. And I don't Uber too often unless, you know, I'm staying in a like city for a while or, yeah. you know, doing that. But, I mean, just think about it. Uh, it Uber has paved the way for people being able to, uh, you know, get more to eat, uh, giving restaurants more business or bars, for that matter, too, a safer way to get home rather than relying on a designated driver Mm -hmm. and cutting down on drunk drivers, not to say that that still isn't an issue. But back then, when you went out drinking and you had more than you expected, then your only way home was walking or finding maybe a taxi home. Mm -hmm. And Uber's streamlined, they made the old taxis into something better. And that's the crux of technology. Right. It's always improving upon an existing idea. Mm-hmm. So I think that Uber is truly incredible, even though I don't use Lyft or, you know, services like that very often. It's great to be able to know that wherever you are, you can probably find like a ride home. Now it's up to you if you want to trust that person. But I would say generally speaking, most of the time, you do have a reliable way of being able to just pull out your phone, call an Uber and get home. It is kind of amazing that on demand, you can call an Uber. You can do all of these things that, frankly, Mm -hmm. um, you couldn't 10 years ago in some cases. I would say so. And in your case, um, in 2015, maybe you were being picked up from an airport or Mm -hmm. driven to a hotel, Mm -hmm. which is great. You didn't have to call on a colleague or uh, find a taxi. You could just do it straight from your phone. Um, I think being able to go out and party with your friends, especially in the sense of drinking, Mm -hmm. it's, it, that it has helped that a lot. Mm -hmm. So more people are able to go out and, you know, stay with their friends. And hopefully be more responsible as a result. I agree. And become more responsible because they have that option. Um, so I think everybody needed a ride at some point. Up until then, up until Uber really started, you had to rely on somebody mm-hmm. or you had to walk, you know, legally speaking. Yeah. So uh, I, I think it's an incredible service and I'm amazed that people didn't think of it sooner or implement it mm-hmm. uh, well in a way sooner. But I wish I had thought of it and I think now it's worth, I think it got bought for $4 billion or something like that or it's valued at $4 billion. That's amazing. I have a quick story and then an honorable mention and then we'll go. All right, sounds good. Okay, so the quick story is this. I've been. Have you ever heard of the show The Office? Of course I've heard of The okay, Office. Okay, I'm just checking. Have right? you? Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> anyway, I've been listening to several deep dive podcasts mm-hmm. um, by the guy who played Kevin. Um, and he uh, does some interviews with different uh, you know, cast members. And one of the things oh, I learned... Kevin from The Office? Yeah. He made a million dollars off of Cameo this year. It's an app where you're able to uh, pick your favorite stars mm-hmm. and have uh, give them a script, and you can send it to your friends, spouses, or you know colleagues, saying whatever you want, addressing them directly, like happy birthdays or just general uh, messages. That's cool. Yeah, he made a million dollars. How great! Well, is that? what's really interesting about this podcast is because you know you're getting deep interviews for 30 minutes or so with each of the cast members. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they attribute the rise of The Office to, which is now more popular than it ever was when it aired, right. even though it did win a couple of Emmys and Golden Globes, is um, the onset of technology. It was not popular until the video iPod and iTunes started finding its way. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, people, I think uh, in some cases, some iPods came with different episode or a particular episode of different shows and one of them was the office christmas special the first season oh and so what they realized was that um all of a sudden people were catching on to the office because of the advent of technology that allowed people access to a show that they otherwise weren't watching they were watching this on 
their iPod and they liked what they saw and they went back to find it on television mm -hmm. and it grew its audience that way. And I thought that was really interesting because I, I didn't watch The Office when it was on originally. I started watching The Office, I think, right before the final season started airing. Mm -hmm. And I do remember it gaining really huge amounts of attention because more people were online and able to talk about mm -hmm. it and it had time to set in. Yeah. And it's uh, truly incredible to think about that because uh, The Office is essentially uh, the television equivalent of comfort food. We should really do some episodes on The Office. I agree. We I can mean, because, analyze because no podcast has ever done that before. But I think I think one specific episode is the one that we should analyze completely. I don't know. Maybe the dinner party season four. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's like a season four. Anything or something with like Jan that. Levinson Gould in it. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have a lot to say on that. Um, okay, so my my honorable mention, real fast, is the camcorder. Because remember, okay. okay, I'm going back to technology here, but the camcorder was the original way to, to you know, video record. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, now we all have phones, which do that um, even better than the camcorder ever did. Camcorder retailed for 1000 to $1,500. And you know, growing up, we took a lot of video footage of you and Luke, um, you know, just to capture it. And I'm really glad we did. But think about it now. I mean, mm -hmm. if and when you have kids you'll have your phone in your pocket to capture every moment. No, there'll be a chip in my brain that allows me Probably to capture so. things by looking at them. Probably so. But when you think about it, so it debuted in 1983. Right. And uh, I know that uh, my dad had one, and he basically gave it to us. He allowed us to use it, but I just remember thinking it was, I mean, remember them saying to me, be careful with it, be careful with it. And, you know, anytime you have to, like, worry about using something, it's really not that fun. Um, but you know, it's obsolete technology because we, it was replaced by smartphones, but fun fact. And I just wanted to share that. My favorite camcorder moment, uh, is when we were watching home videos and it automatically cut immediately to your survivor audition tape. Now that could be another <laughs> podcast episode. That's a ton of fun. And I hope I can actually cut the audio <laughs> from that so that people can hear it. But essentially what it boils down to is my dad was, uh, doing a survivor, uh, early 2000s, I guess, after watching the first season. They debuted in the summer of 2000. Right. So he was doing an audition tape, and uh, to prove his worthiness as a potential true survivor, mm -hmm. he used an electric chainsaw mm -hmm. to cut down a tree yeah. in the video. Well, I mean, there are long extension cords <laughs> <laughs> that can go to the mainland. I don't know why I didn't. Yeah, it was 2000. Perhaps it was just it was a meditation on the technology that they used to film it and build every challenge in right. Survivor. Right. Or maybe perhaps it was just an honest uh, an honest attempt at yeah. um, one of those things. But you know what? That would be really cool if you could do The Amazing Race or Survivor. Luke and I are going to do it. Unless yeah? you want to do it. Yeah. I'm fine. Okay. Unless you guys win, then I want some of the money. I need but... Luke to do it for the puzzles and then me to do it for... Yeah, don't ask me. I have no sense of direction. And, you know, I'll have my Noah moments if I'm in the middle of somewhere and getting lost. But we digress. We digress. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening to our episode. That's all we have for today. We're going to be moving on with more movie reviews uh, later on. It's not going to be a weekly movie review, but more so whenever a big movie comes out. Mm -hmm. And don't forget to uh, follow us uh, on and write, uh, rate us on, um, yeah. Wherever you find your podcast, <laughs> especially. We don't know where you can read us. Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts you can. 
Okay, but yeah. if you listen to us on a place where it asks what you think of us, then... You want to give, give us five stars. Give us at least four stars. No, give, you know, if you like us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not telling you to give us four stars. The higher the rating, the more we show up in the... Uh, you know. Of course, right now we have zero stars. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if we are... Uh, we are looking to be critically acclaimed. So if you critics would acclaim us, that would be fantastic. Well, regardless, we appreciate it. And once again, I'm Noah. And I'm Greg. And this is Easy Talk.